The following program is sponsored by Marty McClendon and West Coast Windows. My God is so big and so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. do. My God is so big and so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. Now, I hope you're all bobbing your head like I am. I'm just jazzed up. It's Saturday morning all across the ACN network. This is Marty McClendon. I'm your host of In My Opinion. I come to you every Saturday morning, whether you hear it live on the radio or the rebroadcast all across the interweb, if you will. Thank you for tuning in. Hope you're doing great. Uh, Hope you're all having a wonderful morning. I know that there's a lot of things that this life can throw at you, uh, things we get into in the middle of, obviously. When you're involved in politics or culture or family or anywhere in Washington state or this great nation, uh, there's bound to be turmoil. There's bound to be times when things aren't going great. But this morning, you know, the word of God says, you know, you know this is a day the Lord has made. I will rejoice in it. So well, I hope you all can rejoice with me on this day. Now, this day, we're in February. It is February 10th already. I want a big shout out before we get started to my brother um, who lives in Hawaii now, believe it or not, but literally spent the majority of his life either living in central Washington or eastern Washington, mostly in Kennewick, Tri-Cities, West Richland, and so forth. But all of my nieces and nephews and, and so forth are over there as well. So happy birthday, Justin, my younger brother. He's three years younger than I am, and it's it's amazing um, that he's all I got left. You know, I think about that. My dad, my mom gone. My my brother. Yes, yes, I have my own family, and you know, I have a few cousins here and there. But it's it's interesting to see that we've gotten closer. Um, we talk more often, which is super awesome. I would encourage all of you if you've got any siblings uh, that are still alive that you should reach out and talk to them. It's uh, refreshing. It's uh, rewarding as well because you hate it. If you missed the chance on it. Now, we know if you want to listen to past broadcasts, as I said, you can find them on your smart speaker. You can find them on podcasting sites, wherever you get it, whether it be Amazon, whether it be iTunes, whether it be Spotify, uh, where I post the shows. I also post the Doug and Marty versus the world show as well. I think I'm pretty caught up. I'm within a week or two of the actual live broadcast on both shows. So tune in. Uh, today's show with Doug um, at 10 o'clock, heard on the same air, uh, network, is pretty good. We kind of got into it uh, on that one. Not that they're not all pretty good, but uh, this was a pretty good show. We both went, yeah, that was good. So uh, kind of go, this is fun. So make sure you stay tuned to the ACN network for a lively show at 10 o'clock. And of course, this show, we always start off with the word of God. Just the word of the week uh, I want to share with you. Today's word is the first Corinthians chapter 12. That is verse 25 uh, through 27. And this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth says, so that there would be no division or discord in the body. That is lack of adaptation of the parts to each other working together, but that the parts may have the same concern for one another. And if one member suffers, All the parts share the suffering. 
If one member is honored, all rejoice in it, basically being happy for each other, right? And it says, now you collectively are Christ's body and individually you are members of it, each with its own special purpose and function. I just love that. Uh, Paul's talking to the unique um, purpose that God's given us from the foundations of time, that each one of us is known by our heavenly father, created before the foundations of time, stored up good works for us to do. He knew that we'd accept him. We knew that we'd fall short. We knew that we'd need a savior. He knew, I should say. And then it says that together, all of us that are called by his name are a part of his body, which is go into all the world and preach the good news, part of his body to be the salt and light into this world. Um, and then we are supposed to model behavior as Christ modeled it for us, as he modeled for his disciples and as they model for everybody else. He's reminding the early Christians and us through this letter to the church in Corinth that we're a part of the body. And we should rejoice for one another. When one of us, our members, other Christians are honored, we should honor them as well. We should rejoice in that honor because he's honoring the body of Christ. And when someone suffers in the body, we should we should be there for them, right? We're supposed to support them because we're all in this together. We work better together. And I love that too, because there's so many denominations, right? Which is divisions in the Christian faith. There's yeah, and I'm, there's nothing, I'm not going to argue with that, but the point is, is we find ways, more ways today than ever to separate and divide amongst each other than beyond race, beyond uh, status and political and left and right and middle and you, you name it, right? We found ways to um, differentiate ourselves in a way, not to make ourselves special, but to, to isolate ourselves. And, got, and uh, Paul's saying here to the church says, no, together you're stronger. When you work together, you're more effective. And that's where I'm always encouraging Christians that don't negate or don't vacate areas of this world, if you will, um, spheres of influence in this world um, to the enemy. This is where we're supposed to go everywhere as the body of Christ to be salt and light, to bring the truth of Christ into the halls of government, into the halls of business, into the education sphere into wherever it may be. And someone, you know, I don't want to get preachy on you here, but it's just, it's encouraging today that we're still being reminded from 2000 years ago from a letter that the unity comes when we're in one mind of Christ, that we're following and submitted to, that we all have our individual roles to play, whether you're the stomach, the toe, the foot, the arm, working together, we are able to have success, right? So it's, it depended upon me, Marty McClendon, to do what God's called me to do in benefit, in honor of God, but in benefit for the body of Christ, right? To be a blessing to the body of Christ. And as the body of Christ is blessed, to be a blessing to the world, to be a light to the world, to be a beacon to the world as well. Because obviously, whereas we're passing through the world, we're not of the world, but we're in the world and we're in the world for a reason for a specific purpose. I mean, the churches and you and me are in this world for a specific reason. So be encouraged. And uh, now on that note, uh, we always turn to what's going on around us. And there's uh, so many stories to talk about, um, but the things that uh, the stories that are really important locally and nationally, yes, they involve politics. Yes, they involve um, our safety in our communities. Yes, they involve um, the human cult, uh, condition, if you will, our hearts, our souls, our spirits, right? 
And so we're, you know, obviously tomorrow there's a big game in Las Vegas called the Super Bowl. You know, lots of, literally uh, the largest audience uh, worldwide that watches a, this event over any other televised event, which so it's got a lot of eyes on it. Um, whether you like it or not, and then and the storylines go, I'll probably watch it. I'll probably be cheering on. I don't really have a dog in the fight as far as the game goes, but still, it's one of those things. It reminds me, though, in many ways that here's this distraction from there's so many things going on right now that that need our attention that we get um, tuned out because work's busy, raising the family's busy. The rising cost of inflation is a burden. We have to put in more hours in some cases. Our investments are be, uh, being harmed by uh, these policy decisions. Our neighborhoods are less safe um, because of the policy positions of this the state, local, and federal governments putting in these DEI policies or LGBTQ agendas and so forth. So we're always on the bit on the they will look out for the next attack, if you will. And what I would encourage you are, yes, we have to be vigilant, but we have to be on the offense, not offensive, but to be un- understanding that the enemy of our soul is here to kill, steal, and destroy. But those things that are in us are godly, right? The, that we're trying to do the right thing, and yet we keep on getting sidetracked. When we're supposed to love God and love our neighbor ourselves, that, that plays out in business. It plays out in our families. It plays out in our community. It plays out in the civic mountain of government. So this is important that if we want things to be on the proactive side, we're getting busy electing people that are called by God, that have been assigned a purpose to serve their community in the civic government, and that we can trust them and hold them accountable that when they're at that place, that they won't be um, backroom deals. They won't be passing things in the middle middle of the night, that they will be thinking about you and me reducing the burden upon us versus increasing the burden, not passing things that would um, cause, you know, our kids to be uh, told about things that they're not appropriate at their age, to be, you know, sex agenda, the LGBT and so forth. So all that stuff. Once again, encouraging us that to take back those areas where we've abdicated or given up and to be encouraged that as we do, that we preempt, right? We are on the offense, doing the right things, passing legislation, defending the constitution, putting things in place that protect our children, not to harm them, right? Uh, increasing the laws and the enforcement of those laws for those that harm children or steal or murder or whatever, or invade this nation illegally. Now on that note, the ongoing battle between the Republican state governors and the um, federal government around the southern border. More and more is coming out recently about this. This week alone, through a public records uh, request, a FOIA request, they found some documents that the um, Mayorkas, the czar over the border, if you will, the cabinet position for border and security and so forth, homeland there, um, he had written papers of describing of removing Trump's plans, making a porous um, border, uh, increased crime in the inner cities, and how this would cause disruption. This sounds like a plan to take over America or to destroy America. And yet what we have here is this a smoking gun that the, the entire plan from the very beginning from the Biden administration was to open up the border to allow millions of illegal immigrants to come in 
being unvetted, untested. We don't know who they are. What we're finding out is that many of them are here with ill intentions. They're drug traffickers. They're MS-13 gang members. There are um, people, the largest section or, or percentage of illegal immigrants currently are from China. So they're military-aged Chinese men, which makes you go, okay, there are economic, political, geopolitical enemy right now, and yet there tens of thousands are coming across the California border from Mexico into America. And then we have um, they the known terrorists they caught at the border and said, you, you'll know me. We know that there's um, huge amounts of fentanyl coming through and killing people. And that fentanyl is, is created in China and then trafficked by the cartels through the border, porous border into America. And then you have what the, the reports came out from uh, the Department of Homeland that since October, October 2023, we're talking four months now, four months, a little over four months, over a million illegal immigrants that we know of have entered into America illegally. So think about this. They're talking anywhere from nine to 10 million since Biden took office. A million in the last quarter of this year alone uh, have come across where we have no way of vetting, no way of knowing, but they destroy their IDs, they destroy any passports they may have. They could have criminal records. They could be murderers, rapists, whatever. And we're saying not all of them are, but the majority are military aged men. This is an invasion in the Southern border. So again, I'm gonna shout out and say hallelujah that there's real leadership being shown by the Republican state governors, Governor Abbott, Governor Christy Nome, Governor DeSantis, Governor Bergram, and other Republican governors that have united together to send support to Texas to put a stop to the flow uh, and to organize this in a better way because the federal government won't do it. Very, very encouraging, but it's also, we gotta be strong. This is, lead, we need to support leadership that does this stuff um, because it makes us less safe when the border is open, which may or may, may obviously be the intent of this administration and all Democrats across the what we've seen recently and those that side with them, you know, like some of the Republicans as well. So I'll just say this, uh, there's an issue, but it, it's at least for the short term, it's being addressed by those that are showing true leadership. Now, um, this going forward, this bill that the Senate tried to push, uh, like this bipartisan bill where a couple uh, Republican senators worked to draft a bill, they had $60 billion going to uh, Ukraine, additionally from what they've already sent. And they said, oh, we'll throw in some kind of metrics so we can track where the money goes. We don't know where all the rest of the money went. They had, I think, $40 billion towards Israel and like $20 billion towards the border. And most of that was for attorneys to represent illegal immigrants and for additional border patrol to rubber stamp their, their stay and get in a court date 10 years down the road in America, basically giving them a path to stay here um, legally for the next 10 years before they could uh, uh, hear their asylum claims. It's messed up. And so it's a de facto way of providing a way to citizenship for tens of millions of illegal aliens. So obviously we have to secure the border. We've been talking about this for now for years. We need leadership to do so. That was a bad bill. I'm glad the Republicans withdrew their support from it um, because there's too much, when they tie together too many things, they're trying to hide something. 
Um, so a single issue border bill is what we need where we secure the border first. We um, revamp our H-1B visa system, which we already do a million a year on that alone. Um, we revamp our worker visas. We uh, streamline these port of entries where they can only get in and only process for And then we have them stay in Mexico again until their court date. And then we process the claims and allow those that are truly seeking asylum to come in and those that aren't to be turned away. That's what we have to do. And then we have to round up all of the criminals, all the people that are here illegally and say, you have to get in the back of the line. That's really what it is, but you can't break the law. It's not fair to everybody else. And it's not, we don't know. When we don't know who's here, it's dangerous. So uh, something to be aware of. Another thing on that too, when I mentioned Christy Nome, after I had championed Christy Nome last week as showing real leadership and, and I always love to see her as the vice president, um, Donald Trump announced that he, two of them were on the short list, uh, Senator Tim Scott and Governor Christy Nome. Now, I think that's fantastic. First of all, he may be teasing the idea. Neither one of them has been approached necessarily as the pick. Um, I like both. I'll tell you this, though. So Senator Tim Scott, conservative, black, Republican, great senator. Um, I'm not a big fan of senators becoming president. Senators typically know the legislative process, which is typically why they get elected and so forth, but they haven't been an, a, an executive in a state. Whether you've been executive as, as a mayor, executive as, as a county um, president, whatever, um, or uh, a governor, I think you have a lot more experience um, leading, if you will, uh, as for a nation. Now, I'm generally, I like governors becoming president. Donald Trump, obviously, he upturned the card. He's never served in office, and that's another thing that was really attractive about him. But he's a businessman that has run businesses before, corporations before, again, executive roles. So uh, revamping that what I'm usually saying is executives with the executive experience typically make good presidents in my experience, in my opinion as well, which is what the show's called, right? So in that regard, Tim Scott would be a great vice president behind Donald Trump. If Donald Trump gets elected, Tim Scott would be a great ticket. They would campaign together. I think they would win together and he'd be in prime position to be president in four years. That said, Christy Nome, which I'm a big fan, I, I am very open about that. Christy Nome would be better. Christy Nome has served great as the uh, governor of South Dakota. It's a small state, but she's got executive experience. She would be a natural uh, candidate for, for president in 2028 because she's already been a governor. She would learn and, and work with Donald Trump. She would be great on the ticket as well. She'd be a great campaigner. I just think uh, ideally for, for looking for the next 12 years, four years in Trump and the next eight years for the next Republican president, if I can be so bold, Christy Nome's a better choice. But I'm not Donald Trump and Donald Trump hasn't won the, the nomination yet. But when he does, I'm excited for it. Now, with every presidential year election, there's always... It's interesting because everybody, you know, typically the voter turnout goes up, although we can really help that in the, in the, by getting more people registered. It's real, still super important because we still have a lack of turnout across Eastern Washington and Central Washington, more so in the off years and more, show, more so in the mid years than the general election. But still, 
we have an opportunity as Christians and the body of Christ to really make a difference in this election at the local level, at the state level, and the national level. Even in Washington State, yes, it's true. Um, and this year, there's a lot more at stake. Yes, we're voting in a new governor. And of course, we have some great governor candidates. We have, um, we don't want Bob Ferguson to win. He'd be dangerous. Um, we have Dave Reichert, the former congressman in the 8th Congressional, and the former sheriff of King County. Um, solid conservative. Um, he's got some votes that are kind of wonky, but he was able to get elected um, multiple times in a, in a blue area. I'm not saying that's always the best, but still. Semi Bird, great candidate. Uh, needs more money, needs some more support. Very conservative, but his past experience has been a school board member, which is nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying that there's the two top Republican candidates to take on Bob Ferguson. And filing week for this is in May and our primaries in August. So we've got to get behind and coalesce behind one candidate if possible. Now, on top of that, we heard the news this week, a couple things that Kathy Morris Rogers has decided not to run for reelection. We're February Remember, filing week's in May, so it gives people a little bit of time, but typically once they decide to step down, there's going to be a whole lot of people stepping in to run for that office, and there already is people declaring. I first want to say that my personal experience with Kathy Morris Rogers has always been positive. Even uh, she is the highest-ranking Republican uh, in the House. Think about that, the highest-ranking female Republican in the House. And she's been that way for several. She was up for several appointments under the previous Trump administration, um, so she's a, a pretty important, pretty powerful Congresswoman representing the Spokane Valley and Spokane area as well. But even when I was a candidate for statewide office and had no shot, she was gracious enough to say, whatever you need, you know, let me know. I, I'm here for you. It's very supportive, much more so than, than a lot of other people I could talk about, but I won't. Um, very gracious, hardworking. I think she's done a great job. I think she's done, shown great leadership. I'm kind of sad to see her go, but I'm curious on who's going to step up. There's some great candidates in the Spokane area that would be a fantastic replacement for her. Um, no one can fill her shoes necessarily. And I'm curious if she's actually done, done with politics, as if it, because she was very close as being the highest ranking Republican woman in Congress um, to, you know, um, maybe being the speaker someday or running for Senate. So it's interesting, or governor for that matter, too. So we shall see. But uh, thank you, Kathy McMorris Rogers. And for those that are going to run uh, for her seat, make sure that a Republican wins that seat again. We've got to fight on our hands because they're going to Democrats will throw money at this to try to swing it to a Democrat seat. We don't need that. Also, um, I, I saw now. Obviously, I talked earlier about the sixth congressional is open. We have uh, Drew McEwen over there. I saw that my uh, a friend of mine who lives in where Gig Harbor in the twenty sixth who ran for House and won the House, the former seat vacated by Jesse Young, is stepping down, only serving one term, and cited that um, it's really hard. And I wanted to talk about this for a second. Spencer Hudson's w literally went to school, got his JD, which is his law degree, um, and then went into real estate for the purpose of running uh, for office. His whole life has been dedicated to someday serving the American people, serving the citizens of Washington State. Good guy. And when I ran a first couple times, he was very supportive. 
Uh, he ended up buying a, a real estate brokerage. He's done very well financially for a young man with a uh, uh, wife and a couple of kids and doing great. So when it was his time and the open position came about, he was the natural choice to run for the house seat that was vacated by Jesse Young. He ran and won on a ticket with Michelle Caldier over the 26. Great stuff. It's the way you're supposed to be done. And he's served very well for the last two years. Well, in his, in his letter that he's not going to run again, talked about how hard it is for what is supposed to be a part-time job is a full-time job for part-time pay. That his family and his kids suffer because of the income um, that they lost while serving. So this really is one of those things we need to pray for those in our uh, house and Senate, of course, uh, because they're making about $50,000 a year plus trips and so forth. But uh, a lot of them have second jobs and so forth. So even though I disagree with many of the things that come out of Olympia, I still want to honor those that, that, that have gotten the chance and that have served uh, like Catherine Morris Rogers, who actually made more money as a congresswoman. But still, the point is um, those that serve in local office oftentimes don't make anything or very little. And the, those that serve in state office, unless they're a statewide position like governor, there's not much money in it. So make sure that you thank them as well as complain when you get the chance. Lots of stuff to talk about. I, I'm telling you. So lastly, I want to talk about that. And it's sad to say, but we have a real problem at the national level. Not only it, we, what we see now is like not just a banana republic, not just a tyranny in, in effect. What you have is government bureaucracies, agencies targeting American citizens that don't agree with them politically. We already had the 2020 election when we found out that Facebook and Twitter and, and Instagram are censoring um, conservative speech or anything that would be damaging to the Biden campaign. Now we come out and, and there was this report on the investigation of the documents that Joe Biden um, was found in his garage by his Corvette. The documents that were found at the Biden Penn Center sponsored by the Chinese Communist government. These are classified documents that Senator Biden and Vice President Biden took without the permission and willfully and knew that he had and was holding confidential documents as a vice president and senator that he does not have the right to. He doesn't have the authority to declassify them, so they're still classified documents, many of them about Russia or Ukraine. During the time that he was pressuring the Ukrainian government to fire their prosecutor who was investigating the company that Hunter Biden was working for. Talk about stinky and corrupt. But the investigator said, yep, he willfully and intentionally did this and uh, it's wrong, but we're not going to pursue any kind of charges because he is a well-intentioned senior man with failing memory. I'm like, what? We already know his cognitive ability has diminished. We see it on the stage. We see it when he speaks. We see it when he stumbles down the stairs, but this is scary. What they're essentially saying is he's not in a condition to stand trial and with, so no one feeling bad for him would sue him. It reminds me much of when they said they, that no reasonable prosecutor would prosecute the case against Hillary Clinton when she intentionally used a server, a private server, which is against the rules and the law and, and bleach bit destroyed 30,000 emails that were subpoenaed by the Congress and had her staff smash 
their cell phones and remove the SIM cards. That's just hampering and destroying evidence uh, from the FBI. And yet no charges were brought. It wasn't because she was old and well-intentioned. It just no charges were brought. Yet the same government has like 11 indictments against Donald Trump, multiple trials, you know, trying to put him in jail, remove him from the ballot. So that this same group right now that is one time saying, don't look this way, President Biden, they're not going to have anybody else in the ballot. Um, they're trying to remove Donald Trump. The most recent thing, the rumor is that he will not make it. Um, um, President Biden will not be on the ticket in 2020 for the November election. Well, their primary is coming up, their caucuses, whatever it is, the convention, I should say. And they're, uh, people are assuming that he'll step down and they'll appoint somebody. The arrogance of this is this Democrat party, the left, the, the, the deep state, if you will, says, no, Democrats can't choose their, con their, their candidate. We're going to choose for you who the Democrat candidate is. And oh, by the way, Republicans, you can't choose either because you want Trump, so you can't choose Trump. We're going to take him off. We're going to provide someone that you can uh, vote for, but not that person. That's not freedom, people. That is tyranny. So we've got to continue to be vocal. We got to pray. We got to get engaged. We got to overwhelm things by getting people registered, by voting, and by being engaged. But we have a nation given to us. Uh, our blessings come from God. Our Constitution protects it. We need to, to get involved in the process to elect people that understand that, that hold to that, that won't sell us out to the deep state, if you will. Wow. Am I ranting or what? I want to wish you all a wonderful, wonderful weekend. And if you're watching the Super Bowl, there you go. Uh, I'd like to hear who you're rooting for. Other than that, I'll see you all or talk to you all next week on In My Opinion. Marty McClendon here. Talk to you later. My God is so big and so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. do, do. My God.